So dear brothers and sisters, church family, would you pray with me? Let's just ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these moments where we get to hear your voice. We know you will accomplish the purpose for which you send your word. And Lord, give us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus, hearts to hold him, and hands and feet that want to live out his directives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been around me for a while, one of my favorite questions to ask and consider with you is this, what will heaven be like? I just want you to ponder that just a little bit in our moment today. What will heaven be like? Now, I've heard many answers to this, and some of you are nature lovers. And so you're thinking of the Canadian Rockies, and you're thinking of the northern lights, and you're thinking of the the beaches, and you're saying, well, maybe heaven is like a thousand times better than that. Some of you are foodies, like sushi or sweet things. And so maybe you're imagining food euphoria. You're going to sink your teeth into something that really does the trick. Still others love animals. Good for you. And and very common question is, uh, will my dog be there? It's a good question. What I would say is that if he made a dog that you enjoy here, of course he can bring it back there if he so wills. He is the almighty God. Now for me, if you're wondering what I think, I used to play this game when I was traveling um, in a car, had hours to do, and whatever car I turned my head out, like that, like if, if it caught my eye, I'd go like this, that was mine in heaven. And so I have stockpiled cars upon cars that are going to be awesome, and I'm going to share them with you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, and we're going to play like this adult version of Mario Kart, where we're going to go around and we're going to trick it out and have a ton of fun, see who wins, it'll probably be me, but I'll share with you my cars, and it'll be a ball. I love thinking about this because while Scripture doesn't reveal everything about heaven, it gets our minds on the idea it's going to be good. If you read Revelation chapter 21, it talks about a city with streets of gold and and precious jewels. And what is he trying to say? He's trying to take the best of this world and say that's what it's going to be. But perhaps a better question than what will heaven be like because we know it's going to be good and maybe that's why it's not detailed is this one. How do you get to heaven? If someone came up to you and asked you this question, how do you get there? Would you have a concise and a complete answer? And what's interesting to me is that the world we live in has as many and as varied answers to this question as the prior one. Have many different ideas. Let's explore just some of the world's ideas. There are the religions. And so in the religion of Islam, there are the five pillars. That heaven is gained through systems of prayer and sacrifice, giving back to the poor and pilgrimage. You have Judaism, which is the Old Testament part of the Bible, You have the Ten Commandments and the ceremonies, and people say, well, as long as you follow that, then you're good for heaven. In fact, a cultural idea is that because every religion is basically telling you to be good, it doesn't matter what religion you pick, pick one and it'll get you there. Uh, A way of illustrating this is, is through this picture, that if heaven were on the top of this mountain, that you can just pick a path, here's Islam, here's Judaism, here's Christianity for that matter, and that'll do the trick. 
But what does God say? In the face of culture, in the face of what your friends talk about, in the face of water cooler conversation, have you ever, what is, what is God's answer? So as we turn to Scripture, do you know there's a story that recounts someone asking how to get to heaven? Let me set it up. Paul and Silas were preaching about Jesus, and they were um, being persecuted. They were put into to prison. And while they were in prison, a miraculous thing happened. An earthquake happened that released the prison gates and released even the chains around their arms and feet. And because of this, the jailer who saw this and woke up from the earthquake was going to take his life, thinking that he hadn't done his job and all the prisoners had escaped. Paul, who was still there, chains free, doors open, says, Hey, don't take your life, we're still here. And this jailer was probably struck by that kindness. Why didn't you flee? turns to Paul, who he knows to be a believer, and asks, how do I get to heaven? Or basically, what must I do to be saved? And what's interesting to me about what Paul says is all the things he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, you know, I know a little bit about your life just from our time together in prison. If you would clean your act up, then you'd be on your way. Paul doesn't say, well, you know what, Uh, to thine own self be true. Paul doesn't say, well, there are many religions, just just pick one and you'll be good. Some of you know his answer. In Acts it says this, he said, here it is, can you say this first part with me? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's what it is. It is simply through faith. That's how we get to heaven. If you believe in Jesus, that is the clear pathway to eternal life. And you may know this is a message Amazing Love loves to proclaim. And the reason we love it is because if that is true, today you can have perfect peace. Today, perfect peace, not because of how cleaned up your life is, not because of what you've done for the Lord, but simply because of what the Lord has done for you. Today you can know that you're bound for eternal life and heaven will be yours. It is a phenomenal message. But it goes in the face of the world and culture. It's very different. While every other religion will say, do something, be good, here we're going to proclaim, no, it's been done for you through Jesus Christ. And so if you're taking notes, here is our first takeaway. Our first takeaway is this, that confidence about heaven is ours through faith in Jesus. There can be no confidence through our own good works. We'll always be asking, did I do enough? Is this the right way? Is God happy now? Now today we're going to conclude our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And I hope you've enjoyed the series as much as I have. And some of them have been hard teachings, yeah? Uh, For example, you know, when he says carry a cross, that's hard to hear. Uh, Forgive 77 times, woo, that's hard to hear. Cut off your hand. But hopefully you found that just like when you go to a doctor's office and they maybe not give you a word you want to hear, but a word that is helpful because now you can work on it, that you've seen God in giving these hard truths is still helping you along life's way. And so the hard truth today It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich people to enter the kingdom. Woo! Now what's the setup? 
I'm going to invite you, if you want, to open a Bible or turn to Matthew chapter 19. That's where we're going to be in. And as, as you're turning there, um, I'm going to describe kind of what's going on. What happens is that Jesus meets a man who wants to know how to get to heaven. He, he simply asks, I, I know heaven exists, how do I get there? And this man has a proposal. He says, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, but I need some icing on the cake. Could you just describe one more thing that I could do to make sure God looks at me as perfect? To make sure God says, oh, you're complete. And the response he heard probably shocked him. The response he heard, we know, did leave him sorrowful and made him think. As Jesus then talks. Ready to get into it? So Matthew chapter 19, here we go. Love God's word. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's what he was concerned about. How good do I have to be? Is there one final thing? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. And that could have been the end of the lesson. He could have said, no one gets it right. Actually, you need me. That one is me. If you found me, that's it. Stop asking the question. But he goes on. All right, if you're asking, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony on your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says... <laughs> All these I have kept. Now, this young man was not at last Sunday's sermon hearing Pastor Jeff talk about thoughts and words. No, this is just the outward actions he was thinking about. What still do I lack? He's trying to prove himself. So Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, because that's his goal, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, Well, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. These are powerful words. So excited to dive in them with you this morning. Let's continue. So there is no question that riches can do many good things. And to bring that up, I want to talk about this man named Willie Wilson. Do you know why Willie Wilson made the news? Willie Wilson saw the gas prices, and he's a Chicagoan businessman who gave $1.2 million in gift cards. First, he gave $200,000 away at nine different gas stations. Um, $50 was each 
car, and then he did a million dollars at 50 different gas stations. It caused quite a traffic jam if you're in the area, um, but, but this was a man's heart to say, I got some money, I'm going to help people at the pump. And you can imagine how good it must have felt. Filling up the car, got at least two days out of that. <laughs> gas price, it's my bad joke, sorry. Um, and how good it would be. in my pocket, don't have to spend. And what we see is that money can be so helpful. Our hearts right now are are for the Ukrainians, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And who wouldn't agree that sending humanitarian aid, uh, giving those in need what, what they desire is a good thing? Or then I consider the church. I know it might sound like I'm, you know, self serving, but. I ultimately believe the the way the gospel is going to reach the ends of the earth is that God is going to empower his people to fuel it on through their generosity, sending missionaries and supporting churches so that the entire world can hear Jesus is king. So yeah, money can do a lot of good. And you are not sinful if God has given you riches. But then I have a brother that I love named Pastor Jeff. And I'm learning from Pastor Jeff, and and I'm learning his favorite word, which is, and. (laughs) Money can do a lot of good, and it can lead to a lot of heartache. I was doing some research over inheritances. And in the next 30 years, $30 trillion will be given to the next generation. $30 trillion. And if you know anything about potential inheritance, you know the proclivity there is to argue over who gets what. Because of inheritance, it has split brother and sister. It has split cousins from each other, all because of how it was divvied up. Reading a Forbes article, and a psychologist said this, that maximizing one's financial position is a primary motivator. When it comes to inheritance, the opportunity to obtain money overrides ethical behavior around the source of that money. If it's not inheritance, maybe you've seen someone who works and works and works in order to make more and more and more. Maybe you've seen someone who has been defined by what car they drive, what watch is on their wrist, and, and where they live. To which God warns us. God warns us. And in the words of 1 Timothy, it says, the love of money, not money itself, the love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So money, which can be good but also can be bad, has to be determined how we use it. And how might this all apply to us? Well, I have a question for you. It's our next fill-in. And the question is this, are you using money or is money using you? Brothers and sisters, are you able to approach money, see it as a tool and say, no, I give to my family and I give to good, to, to, to good causes and I, I give to the church. It's just a tool. Or are sometimes you defined by it? defined by getting more and having this or that and where you live and what you drive maybe means a lot more to you. 
The reason this is important is because the man that Jesus was talking to, he couldn't imagine living without what he had. This man we know was very rich. Um, commentaries say he probably had many estates, and he was probably defined by what he had. And so when Jesus digs in and says, you know, just sell it all, and by the way, you'll have treasure in heaven, what's the reaction? It says, he went away sad because he had many possessions. You know, as a pastor, I've observed some of the same reaction. Jesus, who talks about money and right now is talking about money, encourages us to preach on money, and yet some people don't like to hear it. I, I've known people who say to me, Pastor, if you ever talk about money, I'm not coming to your church. I've witnessed people walk away from a church just because we talked about money and what was God's. We've talked about what it is to give to the Lord and give generously and see what he might do, and yet that can always strike their heart and say, ah, oh, I don't want to hear it. Martin Luther had an observation on this. Martin Luther, who watched people pastor to people, said, you know what? People go through three conversions, the conversion of the head, their heart, and their pocketbook. Unfortunately, not all at the same time. And you might imagine which one comes last. And so it leads to Jesus' hard saying. Jesus who says, you know, the eye of a needle, that small little thing that you can barely fit a thread in. He said it's easier for a camel to go through that than rich people to enter heaven. To which we say, as the disciples said, well then, it's impossible. How do we get there? To which we all know we've struggled with money at one point or another, not handling it as God advises and so what's the solution? It's why we've come today. The solution is the superiority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, what wasn't Jesus willing to give so that we could be his? He was one willing to give his body. As we'll consider in just a few days on Good Friday, willing to accept beatings and flogging and crucifixion for you and me. Willing to give up reputation. He didn't care what the crowd said about him. He didn't try to prove himself before Pilate. No, a criminal named Barabbas was set free and that was better in people's minds than having Jesus walk the streets. Jesus gave up relationships. Not one of his friends stood by him in his hour of need. They deserted. They betrayed him. His own father turned his face away. And did Jesus give up riches? The one who owned it all lived in a peasant's household. He fasted for 40 days without food and as an adult did not own a home. This is the king of kings. The beautiful gospel comes to us in 2 Corinthians 8 where it says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And you want to know the good news? 
regardless of what you have in your bank account today, you're rich. You are so rich. Everything Jesus has is yours. You get his home. That heaven that we were talking about, that he is preparing, that's yours. And you get to see how he's decking it out for you. You get his relationships. Every day that you walk on earth, you have a relationship with a heavenly father who is almighty, who is loving, who uses his almighty power to help you in all your needs to guide you through this broken life. You have forgiveness, which means the riches of peace. And there's not a day the devil can hold you down because you're wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he can no longer accuse because he sees dearly loved children regardless of your activity. Those are your riches. The beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell the man at the very get-go. You're concerned about being good. Just accept my good for you. You know, I was thinking of an illustration of what Jesus did, and the best I could come up with is kind of comparing it to Jeff Bezos. You might know him. He's the owner of Amazon, a CEO. And uh, he made the news for buying a $165 million house. This, this is it in, in California. Can you imagine if Jeff Bezos says, hey, you want to make a trade? My house for yours. That'd be all right. Can you move it to Chicago? <laughs> in a superior way, is this not what Jesus has just offered you? You get my riches and I will take on your poverty. You get my home because I lived among you. What sweet gospel. And I suppose we could end here and, and have enough. But before we go home, is it all right if we talk about a takeaway of how Jesus not only is our Savior, but how Jesus could transform our life if what he did is what we try to do? You know, um, love reading books, and, and there are not many that I give away, um, but one of the books that I have given away in the past, it's 10 years old, is this book called Radical. And I, I'm not sure, has anyone ever read Radical? Okay, a few. And the premise of the book Radical is, is how Christians should live maybe different than the world we live in. How Christians should not just accept everything about American culture and the American dream, but, but do things differently. And so he tells stories about those who would go to Africa on mission trips where there is HIV. And can you imagine getting a bunch of teens and saying, hey, let's go. They're infected with HIV. We might get it. Who knows? But we need to help them. And he tells stories of those who went and actually got pricked by some of the needles that they were using. And what's going to happen now? It's a radical way to live. What strikes me is his topics of generosity. He's known people who've given away cars and houses. And he himself denied an airplane. And what's so interesting is as much as he tries to give away, it seems that God funnels even more. It was a weird takeaway that as much as he tries to live radical and be generous, it seems God continues to bless. I think of the examples of riches in Scripture. I'm so excited for Easter. One of the key figures in Easter, not the key, but one of the names you might know is Joseph of Arimathea. 
Joseph, have you heard that name, Joseph of Arimathea? And, and what, what I find in Scripture is that Joseph was a rich man. In fact, I love what it says here. There was a rich man from Arimathea who was Joseph, and he was a disciple of Jesus, which means, again, you can be rich and a disciple of Jesus. That's just fine. Do you know what Joseph does? When Jesus is dead and he needs a place to lay his body, Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for that body. And it says Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen cloth and he laid it in his own new tomb that had been cut in the rock. And that, that would have been a very expensive thing to give to Jesus Christ. But what did God do with that offering? A rich man who says, my riches are yours, God. That became the pinnacle place for the Easter story. On Joseph's tomb sat an angel who said, he is not here. He's risen, just as he said. It was Joseph's tomb that the disciples came running into to see, wow, it's empty. The body we had laid here, it's no longer here. It's where many early Christians would have gone and said, man, this is exactly where it was, and he's not there anymore. And Joseph, through an act of generosity, is known because of what he was willing to give back to the Lord. What do I learn from this? It's our next takeaway. That God rewards when those who are rich give riches back to him. I'm not always saying it's financial. And I'm not saying that we should give in order to get. But there's no denying that there is blessing when we entrust riches back to God. In fact, you know what amazing love Instead of harping on how much money we need or, or, or guilt-tripping people, we call it a get-to-give. Do you know why? Because the experience of Christianity is that when we give to the Lord, we can't outgive Him. When we give to the Lord, He so takes it and blesses it in one way or another. In a way that is so different than just spending money on the weekend, so different than just spending money for myself, it is such a great reward to give back. Peter thought this. Peter, who had heard, if the rich man gives, he's going to have riches in heaven. And so Peter, in his boldness, says, hey, Jesus, we left everything, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. You know, uh, we don't have our jobs anymore, our houses anymore. We're just with you. What do we get? And what's funny is that Jesus could have rebuked, right? Jesus could have said, well, is that the only reason you're following me, Peter, because of what you're going to get? Thanks a lot. Not what he does. No, Jesus, he tells Peter, do you know that as I reign someday, so I'm going to set up 12 thrones, and probably Matthias over Judas, 12 thrones so that you can judge and reign over the whole Christian church, which he describes as the 12 tribes of Israel. But then he speaks to you and I. And I wanted to share the promise. This is from the disciple Mark's account for those who are willing to give. And, and this is the corollary account from the disciple Mark where he says this, that no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, if you're wondering. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, there's always a cross. And in the age to come, eternal life. I hear this. And then I'm struck with what I want to do with it. Are you ready with the takeaway? Our next step today is this. 
I just want you to consider what riches might you give back for a higher reward and then be prompted to give. Now at Amazing Love, I just am inspired by the generosity of God's people. We plan our most aggressive financial year and by the generosity of God's people, we are doing well supporting that gospel outreach. It's amazing. And maybe you've seen already what it is to give back to the Lord and to see him reward that. But money is just one thing. I think of what it is to share our talents. I think of some of our musicians and those who do technology and those who do children's ministry and those who are hospitable and those who greet. And they could use them all in the workplace. Get paid for it extremely well. But they bring it to this place so that anyone who might come would be inspired by Jesus Inspired by the Savior. How great it is to use our talents to the Lord. Or perhaps, you know what is the most rich thing that we could give God? Time. Busy people giving time in order to help with different things, to be on various teams, to support various outreaches, whether it be our helicopter drop with a thousand kids coming, whether it be our children's ministry now in two services, whether it be so many different areas to serve. What God does with that is so great as we tell people about Jesus, their Savior. You know, the opportunity, it kind of reminds me of what's known to happen on Craigslist there are stories of those who have bartered up, those who have traded up. And I was inspired by one 14-year-old who started with an old iPhone and made 14 different trades. He went from iPhone to iPod Touch to some dirt bikes in the mix to uh, a Forerunner to a Ford Bronco to a MacBook Pro. And then where he ended as he traded from iPhone was, gotta love this, a 2000 Porsche Boxster, a high school driving that. That's a pretty good trade. I do believe what we entrust back to the Lord is a trade up. It's something that could have otherwise been wasted somewhere else, but offered to him could make eternal difference. I love the words of Jesus where he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. But out of all the rewards God might give as we entrust riches to him, as you look at the list that he describes here in Mark, as you consider the hundred times as much, the very best reward, it's found at the end. Eternal life. And eternal life would be ours not because of what we gave to God, but that we held on to God. Because we lived in such a way that said, God, as long as I have you, you can have whatever you want. God, as long as I have you, you can have my money, you can have my body, you can have my talent, you can have my time. If I have you, I have everything. And holding on to him, we will inherit eternal life. And what a reward that will be. 
couple weeks ago, we had a movie by C.S. Lewis who was pondering what heaven would be like. He had this sermon called The Weight of Glory, and he talks about a far-off country. And when talking about what heaven would be like, he says, remember all the good things you had in your life? All the good experiences, all the places you've went, all the music you've heard or food that you've tasted? He says in reflection on all of those things, he says, they are not the thing itself. They're only the scent of a flower we haven't found. The echo of a tune we have not heard, a news from a country we have never yet visited. Hey, church family, someday you're going to smell that flower. And you're going to hear the tune. And you're going to see the country. All because of the one who was willing to give up everything for you. What if until we get there, we try to do the same? Let me pray for you. So we pray. Lord, it is much easier to talk about giving up our riches than to actually do it. But considering what you have done and how you gave it all for our salvation, empower us not to waste the various riches you gave, but to use them wisely for eternal good. Lord, we look forward to the day we will see you in that far-off country and make us useful until that time. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Now at this time we have the opportunity to encourage one another as a, a Christian community. And uh, today we'll use the words of the first article. Uh, the first article that reminds us who gave it all to us. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe that God created me and all that exists and that he gave me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my mind, and all my abilities. I believe that God still preserves me by richly and daily, providing clothing and shoes, food and drink, property and home, spouse, children, land, cattle, and all I own, and all I need to keep my body and life. God also preserves me by defending me against all danger, guarding and protecting me from all evil. All this God does only because he is my good and merciful Father in heaven, and not because I have earned or deserved it. For all this I ought to thank and praise, to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true.